We have been in a series called Ecclesiology, which is a nerd word that simply means the study of the church. Ology meaning study, and then ecclesia meaning church, ecclesiology. And in this series, we have been looking at some metaphors that the biblical authors use to describe what the church is. So far, we have looked at how the church is the family of God and the flock of God, that was last week, and the bride of Christ. And today, we've got a really good one, how the church is the temple. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, for we are the temple of the living God. And so that is the theme that we are going to trace today. Two main questions are going to guide our time. First, what is the temple? And then second, what does it mean that the church is the temple? And then we'll close out with an interview. Sound good? All right. The temple, like uh, many of the metaphors in this series, is a really big theme in the biblical narrative. In different cultures, temples have had different purposes. But the main universal ones are that temples are buildings devoted to worship and or regarded as the dwelling place for a god or gods. So, is that building right behind us a temple? It has been a primary place where people have gathered to worship, but is it a dwelling place for God? Does God live there? Hmm. Well, not here, but he's currently at a church in Alberta, Canada. <laughs> Uh, no, this building here, we do not, we do not call it a temple. Uh, I've heard people call it different things, uh, the worship center or the sanctuary or big church. Uh, if you have another name for it, let me know after the service. I'm curious. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm not always successful in this, but I actually try to avoid calling the building or this campus church um, because biblically church isn't a place, it's a people. Um, and it's tough because the language of our culture has changed. And uh, now one of the dominant definitions of church does indeed refer to a building. That's how language goes. But back to temples. Temples are buildings, places where there is worship, places where a god dwells. But the tricky part about a god dwelling is that across basically every culture, gods are invisible. <laughs> and invisible probably isn't the best word. Probably like trans-dimensional is better, or maybe they are in this dimension, but if you see them, they'll just melt your face off like Raiders of the Lost Ark. The point stands, though, you can't see them, <laughs> which is why many temples contain idols or images of gods, statues that represent this invisible deity. They would have been carved out of wood or stone or maybe gold, maybe something like this. Don't worry, this is not actual gold, nor is it a real idol, um, but it is made to look like that golden fertility idol from Indiana Jones, you know, the, the one where he's got the sandbag and he's like, hmm. And yes, now we have so far had two references to Indiana Jones in this sermon. <laughs> It'll be really impressive if I can work in a third, like a reference to the scene where that guy gets his heart pulled out. Um, but we are not talking about the temple of doom. We are talking about the temple of God. 
Oftentimes, in temples, there were idols like this that people would worship representing their gods or their kings. In the biblical narrative, think of the golden statue of King Nebuchadnezzar or the golden calf or a bunch of other smaller examples. But there were no idols in the temple of Israel, which was incredibly unique for that time period. Part of the reason behind having no idol images of God is that we couldn't possibly capture who the creator God is through something in creation. But another reason that Israel was not to make images of God is that God has already made images of himself. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. And thus he created humans. And this worldview of mankind created in the image of God, it turned other ancient contemporary worldviews on their heads. In ancient Near Eastern context, it was usually thought of that the king alone was the image of a god. But the Hebrew scriptures say that all are made in the image of God. Incredible worth and value of every woman and man. And so God placed these images in the Garden of Eden, there in Genesis 1 and 2. And it was there in that origin story that humans were as close as they have ever been with God. God was said to be walking in the garden. And so what's really interesting for our study is that when we get to the construction of the temple, the biblical authors use language that's meant to remind us of Genesis 1 and 2, to remind us of the creation account. And the temple itself was decorated like the Garden of Eden. Why? Because a major function of the temple in Israel was to enable God to dwell with humans again. In Exodus 25, God says, have them construct a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. And so what better way to represent that goal than designing it to remind people of the Garden of Eden with the menorah representing the tree of life and the walls and pillars being decorated with carvings of palm trees and flowers and quite a, quite a few other things. Um, most of you have probably seen the tattoo that I have on my forearm. If you haven't, here it is. Um, it's of flowers. Um, I asked the artist to even uh, specifically include some lilies in it because that was uh, one of the specifically mentioned flowers in the temple in 1 Kings 7. Uh, I got this tattoo to remind me of exactly what we're talking about right now, of the Garden of Eden and of the temple and of Jesus' words when he says, consider the lilies. It's always there to remind me of God's presence and provision. God is with us. In ancient times, the temple was necessary because we were separated from God's presence due to our sin and our rejection of God, but God desired to draw near. And so God gave plans for the temple system. You can check out Exodus and Leviticus, the most boring book in the Bible, for that. <laughs> uh, through things like sacrifice, 
that would take place at the temple, God was able to dwell among Israel. But there was still separation because only the priests were able to go into the room where God was said to be, and only in certain times with very specific rituals to ensure that they were fit to be near God. This system went on for hundreds of years and was core to Israel's cultural identity. The temple and its system were how God was to dwell among them. And then we get to the absolutely radical claims of the New Testament, that a man, Jesus of Nazareth, is Emmanuel, God with us. John 1 says about Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God, again, walking alongside humans, like in the garden, dwelling with us. And Jesus' body was said to be a temple. John 2 contains a dialogue between Jesus and the corrupt temple leaders of his day. It says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and yet you will raise it up in three days? And then the narrator, John, whispers to us, but he was talking about the temple of his body. <laughs> Through the destruction of his body, God's spirit would be released to the people. And the church, the people, not the building, would become the new temple. God's spirit would dwell within humans. And we would have unfettered access to the God of the universe. In the old temple system, it was the sacrificial system that made it possible to draw near. But Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the holy place, which is the center of the temple. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh. When Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice, something remarkable happened. Matthew 27 says, this is when Jesus is on the cross. Jesus cried out again, and with a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. With Jesus' death, we were given newfound access to God. Without need for the temple building, and now God's spirit dwells within us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, For we, the church, are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God dwelling among us through his spirit was always the plan. You can read this in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 11, God says, I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh so that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. 
God's spirit to dwell in us. Which means the people of the church are now the place on earth where God resides. He dwells in the temple, and it's not a building, it's us. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Do y'all not know that y'all are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in all (laughs) y'all? Sorry for the Southern translation. (laughs) Uh, English is somewhat lacking without a better plural for you, and that you is plural, all y'all. Point being, we together are a temple of God. And if the church is the place on earth where God resides, that means that we experience God through other people in the church, which may make you say, through me? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, I'm not perfect. And it's true. Um, People of the church sometimes don't represent God well. Uh, which is why the New Testament writers, when they're emphasizing that the church is the temple, are often doing so with an emphasis on holiness or justice. It's what uh, 1 Corinthians is almost entirely about. Their congregation is wildly unjust. And so Paul uses temple language to try to show them who they really are, to call them to justice and holiness. Because what we do matters deeply Our lives are to display who God is. But good news, the Spirit of God dwells in us to help us live more fully and to be the image of God we were created to be. We do so by following the teachings of Jesus and by opening ourselves to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. We discover how God has gifted each of us to participate in our communities, to be different parts of the body of Christ, all together being built into a temple. And it is through the many that God can be seen more clearly. We experience God through the people of his church, and I can certainly testify to that. I have been a part of this church nearly my whole life. And I'd be hard-pressed to name a more committed and loving group of people. The steadfastness and intentionality of this community is remarkable. Many people have been serving in this place for their whole lives, having spent 20, 30, 40 years here, more, making sure that babies feel safe and loved, teaching children about God, what it means to care for one another, building one another up in small groups, working behind the scenes, organizing children's curriculum, setting up chairs, doing financial work, taking care of the grounds, praying for one another, sending cards and visiting the sick. I see it. Commitment is such an important part of love. Think of how committed the God of the universe is to humans. Think of what he went through in order to dwell with us, his deep commitment to a broken people. It's an attribute that people of Nova emulate well, a loving commitment to one another. There was the real potential for Nova to struggle a great deal more during COVID, but the people of Nova remained steadfast, eager to give 
and serve and sacrifice to keep the community strong, to love one another in difficult times. It's not something I take for granted. And I know that people who interact with the people of Nova experience the love of God. This is how God has shown himself through the past 2,000 years. Historically, the Spirit of God through the church, the people of God, has done many mighty acts of love, positively shaping the culture to where it is today, being the primary motivators behind hospitals and universities and the abolition of slavery because they recognized the value of every human who is made in the image of God. God has gifted people in all different kinds of ways. And I'm guessing we'll hear more about those different gifts in an upcoming sermon. It is through the multiplicity of gifts that God is more clearly seen as we work together to be the body of Christ. My own life is a testimony to how this local church has shown me who God is. It has nothing to do with a building and everything to do with spirit-empowered people who have spent decades loving me. And now, I thought it would be good to hear from someone else who has consistently experienced God's love through the church. I'd like to invite Natalie up. <laughs> Hello, Natalie. Hey, Thomas. Sorry, I've got to get rid of that. <laughs> Natalie, hello. Good morning. Can you uh, tell folks a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Natalie Pittman. I am one of those people that Thomas said has attended this church their entire lives. Um, my parents started attending one of the predecessor churches, Pacific View, um, back in 1983, um, about a year and a half before I was born. And... Um, I grew up attending vacation Bible school, going to Awana, participating in the youth group, um, helping in the nursery, in the toddler class, um, singing with the worship team in youth group, um, and a lot of other things. Um, and when I went to college, I didn't go far. I went to USC. And um, even then, I came home a lot on the weekends because this place was more than just a church that I went to on Sundays. It was part of my everyday life. It was part of um, my family, and it has remained that way um, throughout the course of my life. And you already mentioned some of these things, but what has it looked like for you to use your gifts in this community? Yeah, it's changed a lot over the years. Um, like I said, I started serving, I think, in the nursery and probably in middle school, um, and I loved doing that, loved hanging out with the babies. Um, some of them are in here or out here right now. Um, <laughs> people that I've, I still call them kids, even though they're not kids anymore and they're adults with full-time jobs, um, but it's hard to break away from that. Um, and then uh, six years ago, I was asked to serve as the treasurer for the church. Um, and I was kind of like, are, are you sure? I don't have any background in finances. I don't have a background in accounting, nothing. Um, and... I was assured that I was the right person for the job, and I've actually really enjoyed doing it. Um, every year, it's a position that is reelected each year, and every year I'm asked if I want to do it, and I'm like, no, I, I do want to keep doing it. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy, um, I, maybe it sounds weird. I don't know. I, I like doing it. Um, <laughs> but um, 
so you know i've seen so much encouragement from this church family and doing things that i maybe don't feel comfortable doing and stepping outside of my comfort zone and doing those things right on and now a very broad question but how have you experienced god's love through this church yeah uh there's a lot of ways um some of those are really simple through people praying for me, people encouraging me, um, just the daily life that I've been able to share with a lot of you, um, times of joy, times of sorrow, and seeing those people um, just show up, whether it's through meals or through just a text or a phone call and saying, hey, how are you doing? Just want to check in. Um, I've seen that throughout my life. And uh, the most, the time that really sticks out to me still um, my dad passed away almost 15 and a half years ago. And um, at that time, it was still Pacific View. We hadn't merged with Hope Chapel Gateway and formed Nova. Um, and we, were, we had um, employed, engaged a third party, uh, I don't know, consultant to come in and do um, some surveys and do an evaluation of where we were as a church. And earlier, the, the day my dad collapsed, I had... Um, finished completing the survey, and one of the questions is like, what, are, what is something that this church does well? And I said that we love and support one another. And never in my life had I experienced or did I expect to experience it that up close and personal in the ensuing hours. Um, hours later and in the 24 hours that um, came immediately um, with my dad being in the hospital and then passing away, one of, as much as that still sticks in my head, the other thing that sticks there is the number of people from this community that were there in person and then in the weeks and months to follow. Um, and I can't, I, I can't express how much that means um, to me and to my family. Um, and that's part of why I still am at this church. And actually, it's probably the biggest reason why is because of this community of believers. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. Would you close us on a word of prayer? Sure. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much that you have created um, churches and your church, God, to be your hands and feet on this place, Lord. Um, we thank you that you have given us um, this community of, at Nova, um, a place that we can support one another and love one another. Um, I pray that we would not take that for granted and that we would continue to um, seek after you, Lord, and that we would, in that way, be showing your love to others in our community. We thank you so much for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Natalie.